Greetings and welcome to Shnayim Mikra, the wonderful new program ho- sponsored by the Orthodox Union hosted at OU.org. My name is Yitzhak Shalom, and I'm thrilled to be studying Parashat Kitisa with you uh, today. And I will uh, just preface this by pointing something out that is uh, unique about Parashat Kitisa. The um, first two aliyot of Kitisa are extremely long. And as a result, we're going to teach them in a slightly different manner than the usual format. The rest of the Parsha has regular, even small size aliyot, and so we'll deal with them in the usual fashion. Um, I will share uh, just a couple things. I uh, am not sitting in my usual podcast booth right now, but rather I'm sitting at uh, Snow Valley in uh, Big Bear Mountain in California, looking up at some of my students and um, children skiing the... Uh, Weather is beautiful here, and it's a great opportunity to contemplate Divrei Torah, to share them with you via this wonderful new technology, which allows us to study our most ancient and hallowed texts. Uh, I'd also like to take this opportunity to extend a very, very hearty thank you uh, to two wonderful communities where I've had the privilege of teaching over the past few weeks, uh, the Young Israel of Woodmere, and Mount Sinai Jewish Center in Washington Heights. I had a lovely time in each one of these shows, teaching and interacting and being hosted and meeting such wonderful, wonderful people. Uh, and I just would like to take this opportunity to thank both of those communities uh, and, of course, uh, Rabbi Billet and, uh, and Rabbi Schwartz, respectively. And now to Parshat Kitisa. The beginning of Parshat Kitisa is the end of the command regarding the construction of the Mishkan. And as such, we have a number of parashiot, of parashot, uh, really six parashot that take us from the beginning. I'll summarize them instead of reading them through and then make a couple comments about a couple of them uh, due to the length. The first parasha is one that we read a number of weeks ago as a special parasha, and that is Pashat Shekalim. Kitisa begins with a command that the Israel must take a half shekel and donate it this is called Kofar Nafsho, and when we finish looking at the Aliyah, we will go back and discuss that particular concept and why the Machsit Shekel is used for that. Uh, and this Kesef, this silver, is to be used for the uh, construction of the Mishkan. Uh, it will not be used that way in future years. It will be used for the Korbanot, but in this case it will be used, as we will see in Parshat Kudei, for the silver... Uh, holders for the Krashim, for the wood holding up the Mishkan. The second parasha that we have is the parasha of the Kior. And this now completes all of the appurtenances of the Mishkan. The Kior and its the basin and its stand, the Kano and Kano, are to be placed between the Mizbeach and the Mikdash. And Aharon and his sons, the Kohanim, must wash their hands there. Uh, whenever they come into the Mikdash, there is a violation of Shalorah If somebody comes in and does not wash his hands or legs before doing the Avodah in the Mikdash, then uh, he is Chayav Mita. The third parasha is the parasha of the Bishamim, which will be used ultimately to make Shemen Mishchat Kodesh, meaning this mixture of spices, and you can read about what all they all are, um, are to be used to anoint the various kelim of the, of the Mishkan, along with to be used to anoint Aharon and his children. And here is where we find out, although we saw this at the end of Parshat Tzavet, 
about the anointment of the Kalim and of Aharon, and now we find out what oil is to be used. Uh, at the end, we find out that there is a particular prohibition of using it for anyone else or somebody else who makes it outside of the context of the Mishkan or to put it on someone else is in violation and Rechiyuv Karet. We then have the prescription for making the famous 11-ingredient Ketoret, which will be used, and it is to be ground up into fine dust and then to be burned in the Mishkan where Hashem will meet with Moshe in order to continue to give him the mitzvot. And again, there is the same prohibition. You are not allowed to make this ketoret in the same model for yourself. Or if anybody makes it for himself just to smell it, then he is again chayav karet. These two uh, products, the shemen mishchat kodesh and the ketoret, are exclusive to the mishkan and must not be used for anywhere, anywhere else or by anyone else or for any other use. Um, these four parashot, the Shkalim, the, the Kior, the Shemen, and the Ketoret, conclude the commands regarding the Mishkan, although the last two really were products to be used in the Mishkan and not the Kelim of the Mishkan. However, a couple of, uh, a reminder of something that we saw at the beginning of Parashat Truma, the famous Ramban, who makes the comment that the purpose of the Mishkan but it's a mobile Harsinai, and as such, the Ketoret, the purpose of the Ketoret was to be a reenactment of the cloud that covered Harsinai when Moshe was there and got the Torah, so that Moshe will continue to get the Debrot, to get the Mitzvot and Debrot from Hashem in the Mishkan. And then we can begin with chapter 31 at the beginning, and we have two more parashot here. The first one is the parasha of Bitzalel, meaning that we now have an identification. Hashem has pointed out the chief artisan who is going to construct the Mishkan and the people who are going to help him. The chief architect is Bitzalel ben Uri ben Hur, Hur from Shevet Yehuda, Hur who we last heard of and only heard of in the context of going up to the mountain in Parshat B'Shalach with Aaron and Moshe during the war against Amalek. And he is going to be accompanied by Oholiyad ben Achisamach, who is from Shevetan, and everybody else who are artisans, who are talented, will all be involved in helping to make the Mishkan. And there's a list of all of the things that they're going to make. The parasha ends with a very famous parasha about Shabbat, of which the last two psukim are certainly quotable, and we say them all the time. Of Hirsch here has a wonderful, wonderful comment where he says, meaning that even though you are engaged in the most amazing kind of project that a human being could imagine, building a house for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, building a place for the Shekhinah rest, nonetheless, you may not violate the Shabbat to do so, even for something that great. So, Shmoru. Um, her says it's also in the context of the Indian Parsha Vayakel. It is a sign between you and me. Shabbat is an exclusive, intimate experience between Akkadish Baruch and B'nai Yisrael. It is not a universal holiday. And it is how you know that I am Hashem who makes you holy. You should keep Shabbat. 
Anybody who violates it will be killed. has a very interesting comment on the structure or the leading of these words that one who violates Shabbat to Mezid with Edim and Hatra'ah, etc., gets Mitah, because anyone who does Malacha gets Karet. How do the two connect? So anybody interested, the Meshachach has an interesting comment there. Shish Yamim Ye'asem Malacha. And this, unlike the command in the Decalogue, where you are commanded to work for six days, says, for six days work is done, whether by you or by others. Shabbat Shabbaton Kodesh Adonai. Right, the seventh day is Shabbat Shabbaton, the holy day to Hashem. And again, the repetition of that. And then, Vishamru, B'nai Yisrael Tashabbat. This is a command. B'nai Yisrael shall keep the Shabbat. La'asot Tashabbat v'dorotan v'rit olam. So they must keep the Shabbat or perform the Shabbat for generations as an everlasting greet between B'nai Yisrael B'nai Yisrael Oti Le'olam. And there's a famous uh, comment that uh, we do not wear tefillin on Shabbat because tefillin is called an oath, and Shabbat itself is an oath, meaning that when we're at tefillin, we're putting on a sign of our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but Shabbat, the whole day is a sign. By keeping Shabbat, the human being becomes a chetzah mitzvah, the Shomer Shabbos, and he himself is an oath. Why is this? Because Hashem created the heavens and the earth over six days, and the seventh day, Shabbat, he rested, and took repose. Now, Hashem doesn't rest, Hashem doesn't take repose, Hashem doesn't work. Of course, as the Midrash says in numerous places, Hashem Ki'ilu wrote rest about himself to be a model for us. But the idea is that by us working for six days and then taking that repose on Shabbat, we demonstrate our very close relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu and our desire of of being imitators of God, emulators of God, and that demonstrates a very close relationship. The very beginning of this parasha, as I mentioned, starts the parasha of Shkalim. And there was a very big uh, deal made about the fact that this is a kofar nefesh, some sort of a ransom for a person's life. And it's machasita tekel, and we're told the exact amount. Zeyitnu, pasuk yodbet, yod gimel. Zeyitnu, kol ha'over al-apkudin, anybody who is counted, machasita shekel v'shekel ha'kodesh, half a shekel. Esrim Gerah HaShekel. In case you don't know, the Geshekel was made up of 20 Gerah. Machasit HaShekel Shumal Adonai. Right? And by the way, interesting to know that all the Shkalim that we found that date back to the uh, pre-monarchic period, uh, they, on average, weigh approximately 12 grams. And um, we found a bunch of very small coins called Gerah that weigh uh, 0.6, roughly 0.6 on an average, and we have found a coin called a Becca, number of Becca, and Becca are a average about 5.8, 5.9 grams, exactly half of a shekel, that's the Masira shekel. And that's indeed what it says here, Becca la Gugolet, a Becca per person. Um, and that's how much a, uh, a person is, is to give. Um, why is there such a, an, an, ins, an insistence here on Machasita shekel? So Adar Hadrush, I'm not willing to say this is trap, Adar Hadrush, the understanding is that a person has to know that their contribution is absolutely vital. And their contribution even towards the most ethereal things that they may, they may never see, such as Avodata Mishkan, they may not come in, is absolutely vital, and they have to make their contribution. On the other hand, they have to know that their contribution alone will never be enough, 
and that they need to participate with the community. And therefore, you give a half the shekel. Half the shekel meaning, I can't do it all alone, but again, again, the other guy can't do it all alone, and I absolutely need it. And that's the kaparata nefesh, because there are two essential crimes that a person makes against his own destiny. One is the crime of haughtiness, where he thinks that he alone can get it done, and the inverse crime of depression, where he believes that his contribution matters not at all. And therefore, the kapara for both of these is the maskira shekel. You absolutely must give, and you absolutely must give less than the full amount to ensure that you understand that lesson. Okay, we'll pick it up in the next uh, podcast. Um, and uh, what I am going, I've been asked to tag on, sort of as a special piece here, instead of reading all in the entire piece and translating, is the Kriya of this Aliyah, which will immediately follow. Those of you who are interested, this is the point to cut out. And, um, and then we will continue in the next podcast with the second, very long second Aliyah, describing, of course, well, we'll get to it then. In the meantime, everybody should have a wonderful day.